I'd like to wish you all a good morning and happy Sabbath. Nice to, it is nice to see your faces again, some I haven't seen for a while and I'd like to welcome those especially here this morning. And uh, of course I'd like to invite you to come often and join with us. Now the uh, topic of today's study is the promised land. It goes very well with the quarterly lesson that we have this quarter. And uh, I have to say that I prepared this sermon before then, so, but anyway, look, there's no harm of hearing something twice and getting to understand it and uh, implement it in our lives and learn something from, from it. Now, the promised land, that's something that uh, many of us are looking forward to, something that is going to be different to what it is now. Okay, now, as I said, uh, today's Bible study begins with the nation of Israel. We all know that Israel spent more than 400 years in Egypt. And we all know that it all started off really well. Why? Because when Jacob and his family arrived there, they were given the best land. They were given the best land because Joseph was the prime minister of that land. And so they received great privileges as a result. Life was really good for them. They were in a good part of Egypt. Everything was fertile and growing well, and they were, and they were privileged in every way. As I said, life was good, but we all know that good things don't last. They come to an end. And not too long after Joseph's death, the situation changed. It went from being privileged, it went, then it went to slavery. And we find that suddenly life under that particular pharaoh's the, uh, tyranny uh, became extremely hard. Not long afterwards, they were burdened from this type of life, from slavery, and they yearned for freedom. They yearned for a savior that would bring them salvation. And they wanted someone to get them out of Egypt. And as a result, they turned to God because nothing else was going to work for them. And God heard their prayers and he answered them. And as a result, God sent his prophet Moses to lead the people out. We all know that Pharaoh resisted, and God had to do many miracles before Pharaoh finally decided to let them go. Therefore, through many miracles, God led them out of Egypt, and he delivered them out of the house of bondage. Finally, all the people, Israelites, were on their way to the promised land. But do you think that the journey was easy? Do you think that it was a comfortable journey? No? Someone said no. <laughs> Certainly it would have been easier if it was to happen today. They could have... Uh, you know, loaded all their belongings onto, onto their trucks, their pickup vans, 
uh, everything like that and life, four-wheel drive, comfort, air conditioning, and I would have been on the way in luxury. But instead of driving, they had to walk. They had to walk on the hot, dry land. Now, do you think that their journey was dangerous? Yes. There, there were dangers and hardships along the way. And many times they were attacked by the enemies, as we read in, as we read in the Bible. The enemies attacked God's people and caused them harm. But the good news for them was that God was there for his people. He was there with them when things were good, and, thing was, and he was there to help them in bad times. He was with them all the time they traveled to the promised land. So this morning, we will study one of the stories that people of Israel lived through while they were on that journey. And this story forms a part of the journey to the promised land. Let's look at uh, Numbers 21. And uh, we'll read from 1 to 3. It says, The king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. So Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver these people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And verse 3, And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of that place was called Homath. As you see, the story begins with King of Arad, who was a Canaanite. The king came out with all his army to battle against Israel. Not only did he battle against the people of Israel, but he also took some of them prisoners. No doubt that defeat was a disaster for the Israelite people. And that defeat caused them to become desperate. And this desperation that we see, brought them to God. They earnestly came to God and they pleaded for help. They also made a vow with him. They pledged that if God would deliver the enemy into their hands, that they in turn will utterly destroy them in the cities. Now that is a pretty good offer, you would think, what they had offered. And with that kind of offer, how can you lose? But nonetheless, God listened to the voice of Israel, the scripture tells us, and he delivered up the Canaanites. And as a result, the Israelites utterly destroyed them in their cities. It is obvious that on their own, people of Israel were very weak. They were no match for King of Arad and his army. But with God, they were powerful. And with God's help, they gained the victory. You would think that victory would have made them very happy. And I'm sure that it did. But sadly, it did not last for long. Let us see what happens next. Let's read Numbers 21, 4 and 5. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up 
out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. In this couple of verses, we find that the people started to complain. They quickly forgot what God had done for them. And as a result, they became very discouraged. They started to speak against Moses. They said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? It is all your fault because we are in this situation. For a start, there is no water and we have nothing to eat but this bread. And we loathe this worthless bread. We detest it and we can't take it any longer. We reject this bread from heaven. And in turn, we want to go back to Egypt, and we want to go back there where we came from. It is interesting how quickly they forgot the hardship of slavery. That's why they wanted to go out, because the life was tough. It was hard. It is interesting how quickly they forgot the miracles of God that I've seen all, all along the way, and how quickly they forgot the crossing of the Red Sea. How quickly they forgot how the Red Sea opened up before them. They forgot how they walked on dry land through, the, through to the other side. And how they forgot how the sea swallowed up the Egyptians as they walked out. They also forgot how in the wilderness God supplied all their needs. And all the way they had water to drink and food to eat. They also forgot how their clothes and shoes never wore out. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? And they forgot that only a few days earlier, God gave them victory over their enemy. And with everything that had happened, they chose to ignore it all. They chose to see only their present situation. They chose to see only their present inconvenience. They did not reflect on the past, nor did they look to the future. They totally rejected God's promise, and they rejected the promised land. But how did God respond to their actions? Let's have a look in Numbers 21.6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. We see a response here, don't we? The response was strong and severe. The Bible says that God sent the fiery serpents. And these fiery serpents came out and stung the people. And as a result, many died because of the deadly bites. Have you ever wondered why they were called fiery serpents? Have you? They were called that because their bites produce horrible effects. We are told that the bites would cause violent inflammation and a speedy death. Now, do you think that serpents and scorpions live in the desert? Do you? Yes, they do. That is the dwelling place. The fact is that serpents love the wilderness. And they love the places to hide in among the rocks. And they love the heat. 
The question to all of us is, did God send the serpents to attack the people? Did he send them? And another question is, did he need to send them? The reality is that God did not need to send the serpents. Why? Because they were already there all along. In fact, God kept the serpents away from the people. And it was God's power alone that protected them. But upon their compliance, what did God do? He removed his protection. When that happened, serpents did not need an invitation to come. They were already there. And when he removed that protection, there was no way of stopping them when that protection was removed. You see, the serpents do not, do not wait to be called or to be invited. They simply come by themselves. And they come because that was their opportunity. So what did the serpents do? They had done what they do best. They came and stung God's people. They came and harmed God's people. They came and brought death and sorrow to God's people. And with all that, what did God's people eventually do? Let's read on. Numbers 21.7 says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. With all that that's going on, there's no doubt that there was terror and confusion in the camp. Almost every tent had someone dead, and almost every tent had someone that was dying. There was not a safe place. People were stung as they walked. They were stung as they slept, and they could not defend themselves. No one was safe, and they were all afraid. What do you think happened to all the complaining of not so long ago? What happened to that? You can be sure that all the complaints suddenly stopped. They were suddenly forgotten. Suddenly there was no more accusing. Food and water did not matter anymore. And their past problems were suddenly insignificant. Because they had much bigger problems to deal with now. No doubt, no doubt the situation was desperate. All, and people tried everything they could. But all their efforts were useless. That didn't help. And they realized that there was no way out of that situation. And they realized that they needed help desperately. So what did all the people decide to do? They decided to humble themselves. Suddenly they were, they were no longer haughty and proud. And they were no longer complaining. Instead, they came before Moses with confessions. They have sinned, they said. We have sinned, for we have spoken against you and God. Then they said, please pray to God that he might take away the serpents from us. Moses did not tell them that it serves them right, did he? He could have. You were disobedient. 
So it serves you right. But instead, the Bible tells us that he prayed. And what happens next? Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So do you remember what God told Moses to do? He told him to make a bronze serpent and to place it on a pole. Strange. Moses quickly, without asking any questions, done that because people were dying everywhere. But what was the requirement for people to do? When a person was bitten, he was to look up at the bronze serpent. And if that person looked up, he would live. It's interesting. All you needed to do, just look up and you would live. Now, that didn't sound too hard, did it? I think that everyone could have managed that easily. But it can't be that easy, that would have thought. And surely there must be more to it. In any case, how can that help and make anyone well? How can looking at the bronze serpent neutralize the poison that's inside your body? By the time Moses lifted up the serpent, many had already died. Some refused to believe that looking at the bronze serpent could save their lives. No doubt those that refused to look and believe died. But those that looked and believed lived. Now let me ask you a question. Was there really power in the bronze serpent that could heal? Do you think? Could looking at it really save someone from dying? You know, the reality is that the bronze serpent was only a shaped metal. It was lifeless, and there was no power in it that could heal anyone. But let me tell you where the power was. The power of healing was in God alone. And in his wisdom, he chose this way to display his power. And in this way, people were made to realize that they had sinned. In this way, they were made to realize that their affliction was brought on by their own sins. And in this, God wanted, wanted to teach them a very important lesson. He wanted to teach them that nobody can save themselves. He wanted to teach them that only he was able to heal them. And that only he was able to save them. However, to be saved, there was one condition attached. The condition was that they had to believe that God will do it. That was the condition. And it was only their faith that was acceptable to God, nothing else. So by looking upon the serpent, their faith was to be shown. But God also wanted to teach them something else. He wanted to teach them that their animal sacrifices had no power in themselves at all, as well. 
just as the bronze serpent in itself had no power. In that way, God wanted to lead their minds to the ultimate sin offering. Ultimate sin offering. And in that way, people were given assurance that safety is only in God. While they were obeying God, they would have no reason to fear. He would take care of them and he would protect them. Let us now turn to uh, New Testament and see what Apostle Paul had to say about this story. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and in verse 1 we read, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. What was Apostle Paul trying to do here? Apostle Paul wanted to remind Corinthian Christians of certain facts. He wanted to remind them that Israel was God's chosen people and that they were his favored people and that he loved them and personally led them out of slavery into the promised land. And he wanted to remind them that they came out of Egypt through many miracles of God. And he goes on in verses 2 to 4. Then he says, All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Jesus Christ. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that all the people of Israel were baptized. That all ate of the same spiritual food. And that it was God-given food that sustained them. And that they all drank of the same spiritual drink. Now that spiritual drink was of supernatural origin. It was provided by God when Israelites were in a need. They drank out of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that spiritual rock was Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ was with them all the time during the journey. Then he goes on to say, but with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Here Apostle Paul points out something terrible. He points out something incomprehensible. You see, these people that were chosen by God had failed, and they all failed to enter the promised land. Now, how can that be possible? And how could that have happened when they were with God all along? It happened because God was not pleased with them. That's how it happened. And that is why their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And the cause of the tragedy was their disobedience. And because they purposely disobeyed God's commandments, and disobeying brought judgments of God upon them. Because they refused to place their trust fully on God, and God finally decided that they should all perish in the wilderness. Then we read on, 
Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not last after evil things as they also lasted and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. So you see, brothers and sisters, in this letter, Paul was warning Corinthian Christians. He was telling them not to end up like the people of Israel did. They would they were to learn not to do the same. And they were not to lust after evil things of this world. They were not to be guided by unsatisfied passions and appetites. And they were not to become idolaters. But instead, they were to learn to place God first in their lives. And they were to learn to fully trust him. But there is more. Verse 9 tells us, Now let us, nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Here, Apostle Paul is saying not to tempt Christ. Now, how do you tempt Christ? How did Israelites tempt Christ? They were, they were doing it in a number of ways. Let's have a look at them. First, they were doing it by reproaching Moses himself. Secondly, they were doing it by the dislike of manna that was given by God. Thirdly, they were testing the patience of Christ with their rebellion, open rebellion. They tested the patience of Christ by insisting on their old ways, the way they used to live, not the way they should from then on. You see, they wanted to retain their old habits and customs and they tempted Christ through their appetites and desires. And verse 10 tells us, no complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. You see, if tempting of Christ was not enough, apostle also included murmuring. Do you know what murmuring is? Do you ever... Have you ever seen it? Heard it? You see, murmuring is a constant, quiet, complaining. It doesn't end. It's always there. We might say nagging. It is a constant state of dissatisfaction. The Israelites were constantly complaining and they were constantly dissatisfied with where they were. Their persistent dissatisfaction and murmuring led to their destruction at the end. Now, we as Christians, as spiritual Israel, we have something to learn here. Because we are spiritual Israel of today. And you know God has chosen us to be his last day people. And like Israel, we also have been led out of bondage of this world. Like Israel, we are also traveling to the promised land. And like Israel of then, we are very close to the border of heavenly Canaan. 
Like Israel, we are also led by God through the wilderness of this world by his last day prophet. Yes, we have been given special instructions for our journey to the promised land. Therefore, we must take seriously what God has given us. You see, people of Israel were walking with God and were baptized. They were drinking from Christ the rock and they were eating of God's food. And no doubt, most of us here this morning are walking with God. That's why we're here. And most of us sitting here are baptized. The reality is that we are also drinking from Christ the rock, from his word. And that we are eating of the same spiritual food. But the question for us all is, are we complaining about the last day prophet? Are we? Are we belittling like they did Moses? Are we complaining and rejecting the last day message that we are given? Are we? Yes, we are given a health message, but are we living by it? The question is, are we lusting after worldly food? Are we despising God's bread? And are we lusting after the flesh? And are we taking substances that are destroying our bodies? Brothers and sisters, we must remember that we are the temple of God and that we have no right to destroy that temple. We must look after it. You see, God punished Israel because they did not obey his commandments. But what are we doing about them today? Are we also rejecting his commandments? And with that, are we tempting Christ? Are we murmuring and are we following the ways of this world? But worst of all, are we living like this world? Are we lusting after evil things of this world? And have we become idolaters? Are our appetites controlling us? I can tell you that there is no doubt punishment will come to Christians who disobey God. And it will come just as it came to Israel for their rebellious acts. You see, knowledge of God alone will not save us. Not at all. And knowledge of God does not give us license to ignore his commandments. Let's have a look at Revelation 12, 9. What it says. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the, wor the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. The scripture tells us that serpent of old called the devil and Satan with all his angels was cast down to earth right here where we are. And you know, all these evil angels, all these serpents are all around us. 
And you know what they're doing? They're waiting for the opportunity to attack us. They're waiting for opportunity to sting us. And it is only God that is holding them back. It is only God that is protecting us from them. Dear brothers and sisters, are we disobeying God today? And because of that, has he removed his protection from us? Are we exposed to the serpents? Has the old serpent attacked us as a result of it? And are we bitten by the deadly stings? Dear brother and sister, I want to ask you, are you suffering today? Are you bitten? And are you slowly dying spiritually? Have you tried everything you can and nothing is working for you? You see, if you are in that situation, I have good news for you today. The good news is that God has provided an answer like he has for the Israelites. Not only has he provided an answer, but he has provided a way out. And you will, we will find it in John chapter 3, 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? But have eternal life. You see, brothers and sisters, the answer is on the cross. The answer is found in Jesus who was nailed to the cross. He died so that we can live. And what do we need to do? We just need to look up to him. But to do that, we need to believe, believe in him. And we need to humble ourselves before him. We need to confess our sins before him. And most of all, we need to accept him as our savior. And then we need to look up. Brothers and sisters, the promised land is just before us. It's just there. Are we going to enter? Or are we going to be turned back into wilderness? It's up to us. God is giving us all the opportunities. He's giving us the, he's given us the means of being saved. Are we going to accept it? Or are we going to reject it and murmur and complain? May God help us in our decisions, in our walk with him. Amen.